Listen up, fives. A ten is speaking. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. I'm gonna be doing a different introduction for the next few podcasts, okay? You you guys let me know which one you like the most. So that was that that's the one for this one. <laughs> What's going on, fives? A ten is speaking. Wow. You like that one? I mean, I like it. You're gonna get some some haters on that one, I think. Hey, it's all about that self confidence, self love. You understand? Yeah, whatever. Haters gonna hate. Yeah, they hate you because they ain't you. <laughs> they hate us because they ain't us. You fives know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is Steffi Cohen and Hayden Bo. And today we sit down to have an incredibly enlightening and amazing conversation with Chris Duffin. This is actually his second time on our podcast. He was, we recently had them, had him on prior to his, um, grand goals, grand goals, uh, feats of strength. And so we decided to bring him back on to talk a little bit about that, how he's feeling, what the future looks like for him. We dive into some of his training philosophies, specifically velocity based training and how those impact his, uh, training decisions as well as how he manages fatigue a little we dive into a little bit of heart rate variability and how, how he uses that data to inform his training and a lot more this episode is brought to you by go strong equipment they are the best and only equipment manufacturers that we recommend uh for all the stuff we use them for which are monoliths uh, combo racks uh incline bench comp benches fat pads all that good stuff if you don't uh, believe us just watch any of our videos their stuff looks amazing they'll totally customize it to anything you want to do and uh we put our trust in them for our training 100 so check them out go strong equipment and without further ado enjoy this podcast all right, Chris, thank you uh, again. Sorry, we're running a little behind schedule, but uh, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Um, I think you're our first repeat guest, so I don't, I don't know if that means anything, but um, yeah, we wanted to catch up with you. You know, obviously uh, you had your event where the whole grand goals thing went down, which was super cool. It was also really cool to see you get uh, some some recognition for it on, was that Fox News that did the the bit on you? Yeah, yeah, it, it ended up in a few spots. It was on uh, Yahoo News and Men's Fitness. I don't know. Anyway, online. But yeah, they just ran a piece last night on our uh, our local news here in uh, Oregon. That's so awesome. So, uh, grand goals. You've been talking about it for a while, but um, for those of you, those people listening who don't know, uh, maybe they know. You know, it, your goal is to be the first person to do reps in both squat and. Uh, deadlift with a thousand pounds was that is that the whole idea of grand goals or is there some sort of uh, like larger meaning that that represents there's definitely a larger meaning behind it so i uh a little context behind it but uh i've been competing for about 16 years and uh set a number of records not as many as uh <laughs> as stuff but uh I don't know how many people do that, uh, that many records, but, uh, at that point, you know, I've been moving, moving along in my career and lifting and, and I, I was just reaching a point of doing a lot of transitions in my life as a whole. And I decided it was time to take a step away from, from the platform after, after that length of time, I've been lifting for 25 years or so at that point. And <clears throat> 
I really wanted to put some some meaning behind it for me. And so I, I came up with this idea. It's something I've been thinking about for a long time as, uh, you know, doing a thousand pound deadlift and a thousand pound squat have always been some long term goals. And uh, so I, I I came up with this grand goals campaign, which was also tied to the launch of really my business uh, in the fact that, like I said, I was going through a number of life changes and wanted to put meaning behind meaning and purpose behind what I was doing. And I felt that I'd done enough on the platform that I didn't really need to to prove myself anymore there. I've been, you know, I'm not just a, an internet lifter. I'd, I've been competing for a long time at a high level. And, and so I figured I'm okay with not really setting records anymore and just doing what I'm passionate about and, and also trying to inspire people to do things that they never thought they were possible of. And also just trying to, at the same time, pushing the limits to such an extreme level uh, because I do have, you know, I've been lifting so long. I've got a history of injuries and things like that to really show people there. I actually wrote an article on this a number of years ago. I think it's on Elite FTS, but that you're not as broken as that you think that you are. That we can, if you know how to move, you know how to recover. And a lot of this can kind of go into pain science and other stuff as well, uh, which we probably don't need to dive into here. But that we can move through this and still perform phenomenal f- feats. You don't have to be the person that is, I'm the guy with bad knees. I'm the guy with a broken back sure. uh, and so on. So there's, that is like two, two key cornerstone pieces. And then there's a couple others. And the second one is a learning experience for me. I really believe in continual learning. And when I put myself in this point of doing these really extreme things where I'm on the verge of, you know, falling apart or injuring myself. And my whole platform is about teaching people how not to get injured, but you learn so much when you're on that edge about what works and what doesn't. I could sit there and practice something for six months a year and go, oh, hey, this little piece is working and that one isn't. But when you're on that, just like that, that cusp of falling apart, because I've got to do this again and Two days ago, I could barely, I could barely move and I got to get there. You find out really fast what's working, what's not, right? And so, and then the final one is, hey, if I'm doing this and I'm building my own, you know, online platform to use that to promote and raise awareness around the charities that I believe in. So every one of these, there's been some interim goals because all of it's, there's things I've done besides that in the interim, but it's all about building my tolerance to axial load. So there's been others squatting and deadlifting sometimes doing it multiple days a row, things like that. And, uh, every one of those I've paired with a charity that I believe in. Now, if you know my backstory, you'll understand where a lot of these story, these charities come from, but they're uh, a lot of times for, you know, housing for, uh, uh homeless mothers, um, child children, uh, that uh, have been sexually abused, uh, Special Olympics. And then recently, uh, my business partner's uh, grandson uh, had a battle uh, with cancer for a year. He's in remission remission now. And so the more recent ones have been around uh, research for uh, child cancer. And so, so it's a, it's been really great. So there's four like key components there. And so I think it pairs really well with the, the name grand a thousand, but also grand just kind of over the top. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just gym lifts. So I'm not like trying to say it's something that it's not, 
you know, like let's, let's understand there's a big difference between doing something in that fashion and being a competitive lifter. And I don't want to say that people like, if you want to go prove yourself, you need to do that. I did it for 16 years straight before I decided, okay, I'm just going to do what I want to do now. I'm mm-hmm. officially retiring and I'm not going to say my lifts aren't what they are. Like they're gym lifts. Um, but it's still over the top and pushing the body uh, and the mind <laughs> to to those limits. And that's where, you know, that that whole grand goals campaign is. So it it co- covers a lot of things. And it's also like it's I've been working on it for four years. It is my big final. That was my big final. Like at this point, it is all about, you know, movement, recovery, ma- maintaining myself, health, longevity. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a father with three. uh with three kids, uh, the oldest is going to be a teenager here in another year. So it's, uh, it's, it's time for me to focus on that plus my businesses and, and also be able to, to invest more time in education and other things that I want to do. So definitely not walking away from, from, uh, you know, strength and fitness, uh, industry or lifting myself by any means, but I'm not going to be trying to push and get, you know, uh, an 1100 squat or, you know, what's the next thing behind that? And, uh, um, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's the difference of 40. Tur- well, I turned 43, a uh, few days after, uh, this last one. And, uh, which is interesting. I think, uh, I know when I did the thousand pound deadlift, I, and I still am, uh, the oldest person that's ever deadlifted a thousand pounds. And, uh, and I believe I'm the oldest person that's ever squatted a thousand pounds. So you're, you're also the lightest person to ever squat 900 pounds. Is that correct? Um, I definitely the lightest person ever do the thousand pound deadlift. I haven't gone back and checked if I'm the lightest, lightest person to do a thousand pound squat yet. So, um, I don't, I, I think Zaheer or Eric made the, a two seventy five pound class in one of those. So I don't think I get to, uh, to get to say that. So, um, but I could be, I, I don't know. I just haven't looked again, a little bit. It's hard because I'm not talking about official records. It's, okay. it's, it's like for the squatting. I was able to do an official record uh, for the deadlift because I did that uh, in it was uh, the world championship for the APA powerlifting. So we had all the judges there and as a sumo deadlift, uh, nobody had ever done that before. Uh, so I did. It was an exhibition with straps. But for the Guinness World Record, the conventional deadlift is also done with straps because they qualify strongman records. So nice. I, 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 I the, my thousand pound deadlift is recorded, just the single, not the not the multitude of reps. Um, but I, I was able to get that one in the books. But the 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 squat, uh, not so. So because we've got um, so it's gym lifts. How do you track those? And it's just like knowing, like, hey, Captain Kirk did it for a double. I believe Ray Williams did it for for a double. Um, uh, Garstar, one of your, uh, Dan Bell, uh, Dan Bell has hit it for four reps. Um, seems like there's somebody else I'm missing in there as well. That did it for a double. Dan's the only one, uh, that's done more than me on the, the, the repetition. So he did four, four total. He's a, Dan's a hell of a lifter. God, that guy's mm-hmm. just incredible, but all incredible lifters. So yeah, I, I, I certainly don't want to take anything away from anybody else. Um, but I, the, the big piece of why I want also wanted to do it for both the squat and the deadlift was I wanted to demonstrate I'm not a specialist. I'm not just, a, you know, a person with the really long arms or whatever, like right. I, I built to do this, like, and that's where I really wanted to, I felt I could differentiate because there's, there's phenomenal people, but being able to do both of those at that, 
that freaky level. And that's what it took me so long to do. I mean, well, heck I've been lifting for 32 years now. So <laughs> wow. 1988, I believe is when I started. So that's, that's longer than Steph and I've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love so many things about, um, I'm just writing them down because I didn't want to forget about them, but, um, I love so many things about what you said, especially and something that I wanted to touch on was, you mentioned a lot about how, hey, Caesar, can you lower the volume on my headphones? Yeah. I'm like going deaf. <clears throat> um, you mentioned that, you know, you 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 don't want to make it seem like just lifting weights is, you know, this sort of like incredible thing. You know, you don't want to. Um, I hear that so much, especially on my platform. Oh, you're just lifting weights like it's not that special. It's not a big deal. But I think. It, it definitely has a deeper meaning and only people who push themselves to that limit can understand that what that makes you feel and the meaning that it has for yourself. You know, yeah. the fact that you're coming into the gym every day, you're showing up when it hurts, when it doesn't hurt, when you don't want to, and when it's raining, snowing every day, you're showing up for years for this goal that you have, for this vision that you have. And I think people get too caught up on the actual action that you're doing, which is, yeah, just lifting weights that they miss the important meaning and the important, um, kind of like essence and story of getting to that point, mm -hmm. the relationship you had with pain, the fact that you were showing people that age is not a limiting factor. The fact that previous injuries aren't a limiting factor. I mean, there's so much good stuff in that story that I think people need to think about. And also the fact that there was a much larger, you know, purpose for what you're doing. Like the, the inspirational uh, aspect of it, of course, is huge, but also you're doing it to help raise money for charity. So I think that it's a super noble cause all around. Uh, Speaking of that, I'll just throw out the the the, uh, the pitch again. So, uh, Grand Goals shirts are still on our website. A hundred percent of proceeds uh, go to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Foundation, and you can also donate directly via the the site there as well. If you don't want to have a have a shirt, so um, <clears throat> so anyway, throw that out there. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll throw the link in the uh, show notes so people can can uh, contribute if they want. But yeah, Steph, you're you're spot on. Like it is you know, the essence of the day of, yeah, it's just lifting, but it's a way of expressing these other things. And it could be anything, whatever, whatever a person's passionate about that allows them to push and realize, you know, those it, it's way more than physical, it's mental and emotional. And there's so many things that people can learn from the gym that are lessons in life. And I try to articulate this a lot because sometimes you see like these people that are really successful in the gym And then they, they don't realize if I just did that same thing in my life, like I've got to have a plan. Oh, well, this is, this is actually project management. Like I've got to sit here and plan out. Okay. This is what six months from now, this is where I want to be next year. This is where I want to be. Here's the steps that I got to do. Oh, here's the discipline that I've got to have to put in place. Uh, out, nothing works out right. So I've got to work around and overcome obstacles as I'm going through it, reevaluate, reassess, and then continue to drive that back to my, like, this is like that's successful business, that's successful life. Right. And then the, the impact of, you know, staying strong when, you know, cause you're going to get things thrown at you that are going to want to make you stop and you're going to want to stop at times. And you've got to, you've got to stay focused on that. And that's where the mental and the, uh, or sorry, the emotional factors start coming in. And 
you know, sticking with the plan. And, and, and that's like when I said to show people they can accomplish more than they, than they think that they can. Cause I've, I put these principles in place in the business world and I've been very successful with that through the years <clears throat> with leading people in that direction by challenging them and putting things in front of them uh, that scared them. And same thing, like you sign up for a competition your first time, you're scared of that, but you stick to it and you come through it. And what happens when somebody goes through their first competition? Boom, all of a sudden, like this, this, oh my God, I'm so elated. I've actually gone through and done this, even if, and the impact of that has on their self-confidence and then where they move through next beyond that, right? And we see this happen all the time, but you also see the converse of it if you're, you know, a trainer, and you're working, maybe you see some really successful people in life and they go into the gym and they don't put like, yeah. hey, the things that you've done, like if you have the discipline and you, you, you stick with the plan and yeah, it, you're not going to you're not going to look amazing or be moving great weights in three months. Like it's a mm-hmm. process and it's OK. And we work through this and you're going to get there. These are all st- steps that you've got to follow in that. And so it's uh, it's something that I really try to articulate to people um, on one th- side or the other, because it's it's the essence of it is the same things that you need to put in place in all aspects of your life uh, or the other way bring into the gym. So you can have that same success instead of, uh, you know, jumping around and falling for the next gimmick. And, you know, because this didn't work for the last four weeks, I need to go some, you know, and, yeah. and never making progress. Uh, oh, my buddies called it's Friday afternoon. I had a workout plan, but they want to, you know, want to have five o'clock happy hour. Ah, that sounds more fun. It's like every week I'm not making progress because you're missing, you know, it's over and over safe, safe stuff. And some people can't connect those dots. And it's really, you know, getting, if you, if you want to do things phenomenal, you've got to focus on it. You've got to make this a priority and understand where that priority fits with your other priorities so you can do it successfully and then have the discipline to, to walk that and be okay with the fact that I'm not always going to be moving forward. That's part of the process. I'm going to run into obstacles and I'm going to, but I'm going to keep driving forward because this is important to me. Mm-hmm. So, sorry. Going can we on a talk rant, a little but, bit yeah. about, about setbacks and roadblocks and kind of how you navigate through that? Cause I, I feel like personally, I'm, I'm curious because I'm approaching uh, a point in my, in my powerlifting career, my athletic career, where I'm starting to encounter a lot of those roadblocks and, you know, progress is really slow. If so, if almost inexistent at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's years. Like I reflect back, I'm like, God, I was in the same spot a couple of years ago. This is frustrating. Right? <laughs> exactly. Or sometimes I feel like I'm getting worse. <laughs> and uh, yeah, getting worse. Um, I'll, I'll give an example. If anybody followed my training log, there was, uh, I was having phenomenal success. And then about six weeks out, and I didn't even post all of them because one of them, the first time it happened, I just said it was around a deload week. I, uh, I, I worked up and I, I passed out with 800 pounds on the bar. Okay. Guys luckily caught it, got it back in the rack. And I'm like, okay, well, this week's the deload week. All right. Forced. That really messed with my head. But it, it, it comes down to the core thing, knowing and having the confidence, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to find a way around this. The next week I came in and uh, I don't remember the exact weight, but I, I, I basically passed out again. Um, 
And then that continued. Like then the next week after that, I came in and I was doing a lot of work trying to figure out what's going on. So um, we're looking at, you know, I'm reaching out to everyone that I can. There's people going, hey, you know, this is a problem with, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> androgen receptors being depleted, which is going to have, you know, impact on adrenal gland, which is not going to fire up. So your heart rate's not going to come up. Your blood pressure is going to drop. Okay. So there's a whole, you know, biochemical part. Okay. Here's what we need to do. We need to add some, um, you know, some supplements that, uh, 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 anti-cortisol agents and things like that. Um, anyway, goes on and on, um, start working at looking at, um, yeah, anyway, I don't need to go into the details every week is just like this like trying to figure out and I think I've got it. And then I go in and the next time it's like, well, I can hit singles, but I'm supposed to be doing triples right now. <laughs> but right. after the first rep, I, 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 I'm falling apart. So anyway, it's like this all the way up until I finally have like two semi good workouts right before. So the last two weeks I actually hit my numbers and but one of them was a de was a, a deload session. So I didn't really have my confidence up, but I was still actually struggling with like being able to maintain breathe under the bar. Cause now I'd gone a month without doing anything more than basically singles under the bar. So I'm like, okay, my strength is up. I'm not having issues. It, it ended up being, I, I had some tension in my left trap and my normal assessment protocol for left trap or any trap issue. My shoulder mobility has actually been really phenomenal lately. And normally if my shoulder mobility is fine, I don't start looking at the, the muscles or that would have an effect on it, such as trap ends up turned out there, there was some tension. It wasn't affecting my shoulder mobility and it was shutting off my carotid artery. So I was losing, <laughs> I was lo losing blood to the brain and passing out. Yeah. And, uh, so finally worked through and resolved that. Well, what did but you now I haven't that? been breathing under the bar with a thousand pound load. And uh, I was still struggling those last couple of workouts with trying to figure that, you know, get that. So, you know, the last couple of weeks, I'm sitting there doing a lot of work on things that would resolve that. And I walk into the final day that I'm going to do this and I have to do it that day because basically the gym's going to be shut down any day. I can't perform. I'm not going to be able to have spotters around. I can't continue with my training because same reason we're in the midst of this. I have to have a team. It's not going to happen. Um, I have to do it now and I can't come back and do this later. Like this whole process took way too much of a toll on me. I'm not going to come back next year and walk through another year of training to try to get there. It's either now or never. And so it's like, well, is it going to happen or not? And the point of that is like, just in, in all of it is just having the confidence that I've had a number of wins before my whole life. Here's the things that I've overcome when I thought everything was going to fall apart and just having that confidence that to do it and keep pushing and investigating and knowing that I can overcome this. It's going to take more than physical strength. Like I've got to, I've got to outsmart it. I've got to outwill it. I've got to reach to everybody I know that has, that can have a potential, you know, impact on this. I was flying people in that were experts in different areas to work on, on different, different avenues, uh, from <laughs> acupuncture to, uh, different, you know, physical therapy, so on, like people that I, that I really believe in that can have a different eye on it to figure this out. Like I've got to have a way I'm going to, and just that whole mentality of just keep, it'd be so easy to, to let this stuff overcome me. 
mm-hmm. and, and, and let it win. And just the minorest giving in, I wouldn't have got there. It had completely fallen apart at the last, in the last month. But without that confidence, you wouldn't do the work and just keep being driven. Like there must be a way that didn't work. Let's try another way that didn't let's keep, keep working at it until we can get there. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. Your other thing about, Hey, I'm, I'm reaching a, a stalling point in training and things like that. Um, it's that there's points and things where you've got to, <laughs> it's such a long process. Like this is what I tell people when it's, we reach that is lifting is not NASCAR. It doesn't happen at 200 miles an hour. And there's parts of your career when it does, but that's not, that's not how it works long-term. And it's putting those things in in place. And again, just continuing to drive and work towards it um, and having that long-term look at it. Long-term look, but always be focused on what do I have to do right now? Because when you start getting like, this compounding of a million different things going on or you're looking too far in the future when you find yourself looking out there and it's overwhelming. Uh, The the best step to do is actually at that time too, is just pull it back and focus on what do I have to do today? And if I know I'm doing the steps and I have the confidence, if I'm doing working the plan, I'm going to get there. So having that long-term vision, but being so focused on what today the actions, because that's all I can, that's all I can do right now is, you know, maybe the the rehab work that I've got planned tomorrow or the session I've got focused on today. And if, if you get too far out there in your mind, that overwhelming sensation will take over. It will just destroy you um, because it's, it can be too much. Yeah. I love what you said too, about um, just figuring out a way, because I think, you know, the, the best athletes or really the people who are the best at anything they do have the ability to perform under pressure. And that only really comes with the confidence you learn from, you know, setting a goal or setting a, a deadline and then having to perform yep. at you've a particular a, time. You've got to have a history of wins to build the confidence. Right. And now you've got to use that history of wins and confidence for now in that moment when I need it and just being, yeah, I, I it sounds silly, but like, you know, when I'm in those moments and I, and I look up and I'm questioning myself and I'm, 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 and, and I'm uncertain, you know, I'm in this state of my mind where I'm weak and I'm not ready. And I'm, I think that everything's going to just fall apart on me. It's just, you know, looking inward or looking in the mirror and just reminding myself, this is who I am. I'm, and, and, I'm sorry. It's going to come across a little, some people may take this the wrong way, but <laughs> I'm motherfucking Chris Duffin. Okay. <laughs> I got this. And it's really that I am like that, not just the normal, like positive affirmations, but like do it with freaking, you've got to put power in your voice to hear yourself. And so that, that I'm motherfucking part is actually really an important, like you, whatever words, don't use those words, or maybe you can, but like take an, a positive affirmation, but put some freaking power behind it. 
And then you'll believe it. You'll start believing it and, and, and gain the confidence. Like speak it with power and confidence. Yeah. Conviction is everything. I mean, and, yeah. and I've seen it with so many athletes, but obviously I get the closest look into, you know, Steffi's training and performance. So I've seen her so many times, a few weeks out, even a week out from competition. And it just seems like everything's falling apart. And falling apart, man. It's just, you, you're second guessing everything in the world when that happens. Like it's, it's, I, I don't know how to describe it, but, uh, <laughs> somebody will say something like slightly negative or whatever. And just like, Oh man, it just keeps piling on. And I, yeah. I, it's you're having like an existential crisis. Oh, I'm, right, a, right, I'm a train wreck. Two weeks out of a meet, I'm a train wreck. But you always, yeah. you always pull it together, you know? And like I said, most, most top performers in anything, uh, they do. So I didn't know whether I was going to be a success until I loaded the weight on that bar and started moving the day of. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I fucking got this. I got this. So what's um, what's training going to look like for you now? I mean, you've had obviously this takes you're doing something this extreme takes a ton of not only physical energy in the gym, but it's got to consume a huge portion of your mental and emotional time and energy as well. So are, are you looking to, you know, train for health? Are you looking to, you know, are you still pursuing uh, certain strength achievements? Uh, is there going to be a shift in, in how you spend your time? I'm just curious about the whole thing. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely going to be focused on health and longevity. Um, one of the drivers to make sure I got this done, I, I I've got some health issues, some autoimmune disease and things that, uh, that make this really challenging for me to stay in this really heightened state. Uh, my body doesn't respond well. It doesn't switch back into um, the parasympathetic state very well. I When I turn on sympathetic and everybody sees the intensity and stuff, I, I stay there. So it means I don't sleep well. My digestion doesn't work well. And then that starts having an effect on all sorts of things with my, with my body, my blood work. And as I've gotten older, that gets worse. Uh, feeds into some narcolepsy issues and things as well. So it has a pretty big impact on my life. And, and so it's, it's definitely like something I had to do also. Um, but yeah, health and longevity and also trying to create a little bit more time. So I want to be more efficient with my training um, and have it feel me, leave me feeling refreshed when I'm done. So my view is I get into my work day and again, I haven't got, gotten there yet because of everything that's going on in the world right now. Uh, but is, you know, I can come in and hit a 45, 60 minute workout in the, you know, to start out the day and walk away from it being refreshed and energized to be able to take on all the tasks that I need to, uh, for the day. Um, so I may end up in the, in the process having to lose a little bit of muscle. I'm not sure I'm, I'm dropping weight now. I've already dropped about 20 pounds in the last three, four weeks since the event. Yeah. Um, so I usually stabilize around 250 pounds. I was about two, I was 281 the morning of. So if I ate and stuff, I was probably close to 285, uh, when I did the, uh, the, uh, the lift, uh, if I, but I'm thinking for health and longevity, I might need to be get down to like 230 and 240, which might cause, you know, I might have to make that call, but it's going to, it's going to depend a little bit on my health markers and stuff. That's really going to be the driver. The goal isn't a specific body weight, a specific leanness. It is a specific level of, of health and my ability to move in this world. Like, Hey, if I want to go for a hike or go four wheeling or chop some wood, am I feeling good or am I feeling bogged down? And so that's, 
that's going to be the driver for me is health markers, how I'm feeling and how I can move and be in the world. And unfortunately, 280, you know, you could be lean and still not be healthy. <laughs> so yeah. uh, so getting that figured out and then really focusing on some, you know, some long term issues, uh, trying to make some progress uh, with with uh like I said, I, I do have a, an injury history. Uh, some of that I can't work around too much because it's like bone on bone issues and things. Um, but, uh, you know, staying mobile, looking good and being able to produce a lot of com- content related around a movement and training. And so that's I don't have a specific answer, but that's my that's my picture in my head. I did a little bit of a test the other day. I threw it up on Instagram and I actually for. I had to be a test because I'm not really big into stretching and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I'm not too far away from like doing the splits and uh, in the overhead position, my shoulders are doing really great. Cause I, well, honestly, I haven't been doing upper body work. <laughs> and uh, 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 so my most significant issue right now is just my arms, um, which I've had surgery on both of them and I have really limited range of motion. It actually kind of, it does affect my life a lot. Cause I can't, I can't eat well. Um, there's a lot of things I can't do very well. Beard's nice because I don't have to shave because shaving is problematic. Like my arms just don't work <laughs> all the way anymore. Oh, <laughs> um, so like I said, I've had surgery on both of them, but I think I can still clean up some of it. It feels like bone on bone restriction. Um, but I, I think that there's some limitations due to tension and, you know, that those fascial lines and other stuff that I think I can, I think I can make some more progress than what I'm seeing right now. Uh, so it's kind of focus on some of that stuff as a whole, though, I'm feeling pretty good. I think a lot of it's just going to be getting into the right level of, you know, body weight and leanness, uh, and then maintaining where I'm at, which, you know, given, I just came out of a massive strength cycle of, you know, pushing those things. And obviously I wasn't working on, like I said, stretching or opening my hips or things like that. When you're, handling those kinds of loads every week. Cause it's not like I want to weaken or potentiate any, uh, uh you know, potential, uh, problems, uh, you know, with like stretching my adductors before, <laughs> uh, you know, working on those splits before going to do a squat is not a good idea. So, <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing that you were able to go out of a strength cycle where you peaked at repping, you know, a thousand pounds in squat to almost being able to do the splits. And it's actually interesting. Cause I think I just saw you post, uh, just recently saying squatting doesn't make you tight. Squatting like shit makes you tight. Do you want to expand on that yeah, a little bit? I, I would like to spend some time on that because there's a lot of people that are taking, I've, I post that twice and I've taken a lot of flack on it because people think I'm saying stretching is bad. Don't do it. it. Which would be the same thing as, you know, saying, you know, doing soft tissue work is bad. I'm like, I sell soft tissue tools. Like people understand, like, <laughs> but the, the goal is I don't want you doing that stuff if you don't have to. Right. And here's the thing. People want to want to jump to fixes and they go, I have to do this because like if you lift heavy, you've got to you got to do your mobility work. Well, it's not it's not a balance. It's not a half to. Right. So I yes, there are times you have to do that stuff. And I I call it triage work. Right. Um, Because it's yeah, if if I can't get my shoulder in an overhead position, I've got to go open it up if I want to do overhead presses or even if I want to squat and, <laughs> and not really be jacking up my shoulder or throwing into extension and compromising my spinal position. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's times that you have to do that, but why do you have to do those things is my, is, is the question I'm trying to ask people and get people to go, okay, 
if I look at my, if I look at my movement and, uh, yeah, I mean, just simple statement. If you move like shit, what happens if you're not using everything correctly, the body wants to protect, you know, those joints and it starts restricting, tightening the tissue around a particular joint and you start getting limitation of range of motion. Okay. Guess what? My elbows are shot because I benched like shit for a number of years. Okay. Um, it's not because I didn't do stretch. Like, yes, that could have mitigated, but it's a balance of like, you could lift heavy and cause problems and, and always be adding fixes, or you could fix what you're doing with your lifting and not have to do the other piece of it. Right Right. now we're never perfect. So there's always going to be some issues that are going to pop up and other car could be training too. And I didn't really address that in the post. Like if you're pushing past the limits of what your body is going to be able to recover from and, and accumulating more fatigue than you're able to to recover from, you're going to have some issues come, come and develop as well. So, and this is based on Tim Gabbett's work, uh, which is, actually shows that 80% of, you know, most injuries are actually a result of your training program, not your, not moving bad. Yeah. Load greater um, than tissue tolerance. Like you always say, right. That's where injuries come into play. Yeah. So it, it, I'm just trying to drive people to like, look at what you're doing, look at your training program, look at how you're moving and don't always be thinking that the fix is I got to do 10 mobility exercises before I go train. And if I don't do that, the reason I'm hurting is because I didn't do my mobility work. I'm saying, no, it's, it's because of the root issue with your training. Okay. Right. Either your training plan or your movement or something related to what you're doing in life is going to be driving that dysfunction. And yes, here's some fixes. This is why people go to physical therapy, but in the, in the real, you shouldn't be, you know, I'm speaking to a physical therapist here, <laughs> but so you could correct me where I'm wrong here, Steph, but like, it shouldn't be a requirement that everybody has to go to a physical therapist to resolve issues. If we do things correctly first and we're able to adapt to it. Absolutely. And respond. Yeah. So that's all I'm doing is trying to ask this question. And then I'm showing in myself like, Hey, for the most part, I was moving pretty well during my squat cycle. Look at my look at my training. And so, yeah, when I'm done, I didn't do any stretching or, you know, traditional mobility work during the course of it. Um, I did do some stabilization and other stuff or some, some movement drills, maybe to, you know, warm up before training and things like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm not super tight where a lot of people think like, if you're a thousand pound squatter, you're, you're just going to be super tight. You're not even going to be, you know, um, and so I'm just, I think it's a great opportunity for me to show that is all I'm saying and get people to go, Hey, it's okay to do this stuff. And we need to do it. If you, if you need to do it, you need to do it. And it's good. And if it feels good, go ahead and do it. Like if you love stretching, stretching's great, go do it. Like I'm not, there's nothing bad about it at all. And I'm not saying not to do it, but if you feel, if you have to do it, if you have to do it, if I have to see my physical therapist, if I have to see my chiropractor as the only answer, it means you're doing something wrong in your training in your life. 
Agreed. It's always a better plan, I think, to chase the cause, not the symptoms. Sorry, can, exactly. I, can I add something? That, that's the whole point is chase the root cause. That That's all, all I'm saying. I, I can agree with most of the things that you're saying. I do think that um, it's a great area and kind of a, a thin line to be able to determine objectively whether or not someone's moving correctly or incorrectly. Absolutely. That's, that's the problem because you could look like you're moving well. Yes. And, and, maybe and, you're and not. when I say move well, literally nobody has any idea what I'm saying. Exactly. So there's some context to that. I feel okay saying that because I've got a whole website based on helping people and like educating them. Of course. no, um, And I know, you know, that it's just, uh, it's something I wanted to clarify. Obviously there's I, instances. I, I agree a hundred percent. I, I, and it's very good that you're stating this. Cause yeah, I don't want, I don't want what I'm saying to be misinterpreted. And if it's just, and it's easy to not course, understand. What I'm saying. Of course. Obviously so there's, sorry, there's instances of when you, it's so obvious when you watch someone and they move wrong, you cannot even control your facial expressions. Like when I see Alex deadlifting my face, and <laughs> oh. I'm sorry for people in the boxes who can't see my face right now. My face just goes like this <laughs> and I can't physically guy control it. Just roasting him like that. Huh? Roasting Alex in public like that. Nah, he knows it. <laughs> Alex, I love you, buddy. <laughs> Um, but you know, when someone's moving wrong, you, you just know, like, I don't, you know, and that person knows and everyone around knows. Right. But you know, there are instances where people are moving seemingly well, um, yes. that it, they still might be having compromising their mobility. They still might be having unequal distribution of forces, putting more, more, more strain on one structure versus another one, creating their, compensations. Their tempo could be causing stress in certain areas like yeah, weightlifters tension, or, et cetera. Yeah. And, and uh, this is a great opportunity too to also go see your physical therapist, your chiropractor, or whoever your, your, your clinical person is to help you in that root cause analysis and trying to figure out, Hey, so the answer isn't here's the, 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 the mobility wall that I need you doing every day, but also, Hey, let's try to figure out what's going wrong. Like, Oh, in your movement, you're not inflating your obliques and getting really good. You know, you're missing this gap in the, you know, the stabilization process is fine. Like, and they're not, they have no idea when I say move. Well, yeah, it means that, but who's, you know, people aren't going to understand that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a very important piece. So that's, that's why I keep saying, I'm not saying don't use those things or that they're bad or anything like they're all like I do it on a regular basis. I've got an in-house Cairo. I've got an in-house massage therapist and I try to stay on top of that where, wherever I can. Um, because you also one, make- nobody moves perfectly to begin with, like, except for me. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> no, but you make a, a good point there where I feel like the lines between Cairo PT and coach have become so blurred now that you can use all, any one of those who are, are, are well-educated in the subject matter to help you address those uh, issues, those, those causes before they become issues that cause symptoms. Yeah. And also, I mean, part of my French, but fuck the credentials too. I can name no. so many people who have no credentials and also know exactly what they're talking no, about. Ab- absolutely. Well, absolutely. I, I, I have no credentials. Exactly. So, and, yeah. And I've obviously, done a lot of clinical continuing education, but I have no, no actual degrees or well, I do have some other certifications and stuff, but I don't even, I don't want to mention, I, it's just, yeah. No, but there's a reason why people look to you as a credible source of information and it's exactly what you're saying. And, and those lines have become so blurred between all those different professions. And I think for a good reason and everything's so open source now, you don't have to sign up for 20 chiropractor visits to get something fixed. You can go on Instagram and listen to a credible source who will help you identify causes and avoid 
issues before they become real issues. Mm -hmm. I also want to add something. Um, not that we're in the topic of, of mobility. This is a conversation I had recently with, with someone else on someone else's podcast, but you know, I was talking and thinking about how I've, uh, viewed my training and how I've organized it over the years. And I think one thing that I've, I've done differently that I think a lot of powerlifters and weightlifters could take some notes on is not only periodizing load, but periodizing your GPP and in, in within that is including your mobility work, just anything that makes you mm -hmm. look and move like a human. Um, because people just take the off season to fuck off and, and whatever and do other things or maybe take it or maybe just lift lighter. When in reality, you know, it's not only mobility, but you could be doing movements and exercises that help you find deeper positions that help you strengthen deeper positions and that help you move better. And it could be as simple as as hitting a baseball bat. Or punching, punching a, a bag or doing some jumps, jump, jumps on a, on a box or sprinting. It could be anything that makes you yeah. look and move more human. It's really interesting. And, uh, uh, I think Kel you just had Kelly Sturrett on, uh, on your last one. Um, I absolutely love Kelly. I highly recommend his mobility, uh, or now it's, uh, the ready state. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, incredible, incredible stuff. Kelly's helped me many times. Actually, he's been an incredible resource. Anytime I've been in these projects, He's like watching me and he'll message me. Hey man, check out, you need to look at this. What about your left leg? You know? And, uh, so he's, uh, he, uh, absolutely, uh, fabulous. And that's why I said, I'm not an anti any of these things. All I'm trying to do is tell people is to get them to look a little bit deeper. Um, and, uh, but I, I, your, your comment on, on, uh, Periodizing, uh, periodiz periodizing, periodizing, speak this more, uh, <laughs> uh, GPP and, and, uh, and, and your mobility or movement work is, is really important because there's a lot of things you can actually tailor your, your strength training movements, even to put them, to put you in the positions where you're actually getting that stress or you're getting that engagement of the, the patterning. Um, and, and there's so many things cause it's, except, um, you know, I could do an explosive med ball throw right from the one side, the other. So I'm working this whole oblique sling throwing, getting GPP work in, but I'm actually doing some incredible core activation, working the shoulder complex through, depending on how I'm set up on the floor. I could be in a half kneeling or standing position. What's going on in the hips? Like there's so many things like I was doing some lat work yesterday to maintain my mobility. Instead of doing a lap pull down, I like getting on the machine. I do a half kneeling position and I let it do a full pull all the way across mm -hmm. to get, really open up those oblique slings. So everyone is nice stretch. And then I pull down in, um, it, uh, there's so many ways that you can play with this stuff and incorporate it and actually be moving. For, yeah. It, your, your, your thought process there, I is absolutely phenomenal. And so many people don't think down that line. It's like, here's my basic strength stuff and here's my mobility things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, particularly, um, I, I wrote this piece on GPP, uh, periodization, like about 10 years ago, um, where I did like six week cycles, um, where you'd ramp up your GPP and then taper it back down and so on. And a lot of people don't, it's just like, I, I need to do conditioning work at a set limit, you know, um, is, uh, it, it, you've, Periodization of movement and and 
it is something really people kind of miss a lot. I mean, obviously we do it in strength blocks when we're changing movements or not everybody does it, but uh, it's a pretty standard approach. And, uh, but you can start playing with it with your accessories and then incorporating that into what you're doing with your mobility work. Cause a lot of it can be uh, cross played and you can get in the same positions. I mean, it's just like, I could do a bird, you know, you could do bird dogs, but you could do a bird dog dumbbell row. Right. Uh, which I think that's one of my favorites, uh, really lowers the weight that you've got to do for your lat, but your core stabilization that's got to go across from opposite, you know, hand to, to knee when you've got your, uh, uh, I think I call it, we call it a quadruped row, but I've seen other people put them up lately and call it a bird dog row. Um, just so many ways that you can play with this stuff. And, uh, and, and again, it actually lowers a lot of times the weight. So like in our current environment, this is one of the things I think people should really be looking at because you don't need as heavy of a barbell or a dumbbell in your hand to be doing this stuff. Cause a lot of it makes it way more challenging and yet you're moving forward and progressing and maybe addressing some of those issues that you need to. Mm-hmm. It's also nice to not have to lift heavy all the time too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's an added benefit. Yeah. That's something that actually Jordan shallow says a lot. It's about making an exercise subjectively more difficult instead of objectively in some instances. It's not, it's not only about the amount of weight that you're moving, but how you're moving and how it feels to you. Yeah, absolutely. That's like even sometimes just, uh, having a squat workout. If I don't feel like having to go super heavy, you know, in wraps with low bar, maybe I can, you know, still challenge myself and do high bar and sleeves and not have to, you know, put 700 pounds on my back, you know? Exactly. So yeah, I definitely see the value in that for many reasons. What else you got there, Hayden? Uh, I mean, I'm just curious what's, so what's the future look like for you and Kabuki? And I know you got a bunch of projects uh, on the go. So uh, we've talked a lot about the training aspect of things, but uh, professionally, what's, what's in, on the horizon for you? Yeah. So uh, last time we talked a lot about uh, uh, shoes and barefoot athletics, which were uh, going to be launching some new styles and stuff like that. Um, and uh, excited about that. Uh, Kabuki, we're going to continue working on expanding our line of um, biomechanically appropriate tools, I guess you would call it, but things that are trying to get us in better positions and accommodate for variability in uh, lifter to lifter instead of trying to shove us all into this same, you know, uh, platform. So a lot of it isn't necessarily power lifting uh, specific, but it's going to be a a lot more for strength and development uh, for athleticism as a whole, uh, because we work with, well, we're in every major, well, no, every professional uh, sport in North America right now. And so there's a lot of things that, that uh, when you walk into a weight room with the tools that they're using, that when you're putting all these different people, different sizes, different heights, different, uh, you know, different limb links, um, different mobility uh, capabilities, all this in place and trying to shove them through the same thing that is, it's an opportunity for improvement. And we see that with uh, our current barbell line. And I'd like to start advancing that into more of our uh, things, uh, you know, racking and machines and things like that out there. So um, it's going to be, it's a big project and I've got most of it, you know, at least visualized in my head, hasn't gone into the engineering queue yet, but uh, over the next four or five years, you're going to start seeing things really start coming into play uh, in that area. 
Uh, a lot of it's going to be focused around maximizing space as well, being very modular. Um, so not necessarily good stuff for large commercial gyms, but more of like your independent training studio or again, collegiate or professional sports where you've got to have multitudes of them. Um, so the more that we can maximize space, the more return that we can get for, you know, the gym owner from the space that they've got to work with, the more athletes that they can have work through a, a given piece of equipment at a, at the same time, if it, it's, it's able to adapt and change really fast. So I can't give you much based on theory at this point. That was my, that's, that's my next question. It, how top how secret works. is everything. <laughs> but I've, I, it's interesting that you talk about the racking because I've seen you use the combo rack in a very unique way. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's something down the road. I don't know that you're looking at. Uh, yeah, I would like to, I would like to see something, uh, like that, uh, uh hit the market at some point, but in a, sa a safer mechanism, that's why we don't, uh, we don't sell a kit that, uh, adapts those because honestly, I, I think that there's a risk for injury. If you watch my lifts, I've got an incredibly talented spotter crew. That's well-trained. Yeah. You need <laughs> and, it for that. <laughs> and so, uh, but I, I think that there's still some advantage of, of getting that monolift type function into a small like combo rack. Uh, so yeah, that is definitely on deck, uh, particularly like, uh, especially in the sporting world where they're still using a lot of bands and chains and stuff like that for uh, some of their athletes. You try to walk back with bands on your, uh, and that can get real. that doesn't work very, doesn't work very well. Yeah. It gets a little dicey. Uh, <laughs> so I think that there's some good application uh, for something that has that kind of mechanism built into it without a doubt. Um, so yeah, I'll, that, that is, uh, in the lineup for sure. Um, but not having the big giant monstrosity of what a current mono lift is. So I really want to make small modular functional pieces of equipment, uh, that can rapidly accommodate. So like a, a combo lift is a great, uh, a great idea. Right. Um, and people don't use it outside of powerlifting. But it's actually you can run a lot of people through a, a combo rack and move the racks in and out and up and down and all this stuff like that's kind of what I'm talking about. Right. Um, but we haven't really taken that to these other areas. You don't see that getting used, uh, you know, in, in, in other athletic development. And so you walk in and you see people like one person squatting off their toes, some person doing a quarter squat to get it out, you know, people not able to put their hands in the right spot. And there's 75 of them in the room doing this, right? Cause they've got to, they've got to adjust, you know, organize them by the amount of weight that they're able to put on the bar. Not those things that are actually really improvement from a movement, you know, a, a movement setup or they're not getting set up for success to start with. Right. And so that's what I want to be able to do is set up our athletes for success to begin with. Yeah. I actually have a question that I forgot I wanted to ask. Can we briefly touch on velocity-based training? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know much about it, actually, and I've been curious and maybe wanted to implement it on my training. Yeah. So um, I started doing this probably around 2010. Uh, and at the time, velocity-based training was all about uh, speed training, like uh, like on a conjugate speed day, right? And I wanted to go a different approach because – I. I found that that 50%, you know, weight done really, really fast didn't really play over well for, uh, strength development for me. And a lot of times, a lot of athletes were really sloppy when they were focused on being so fast with lightweight. Mm -hmm. Um, and so started using it more as an auto regulation tool. And that's where I really feel the, the, the money is, is having it be a, 
an auto regulation tool that is providing objective data, not subjective data. So, um, so basically it's doing, we use it in a fashion that's kind of similar to a, an RPE, except it's, there's no lying. There's no figuring it out. Now there's a little bit of caveat before I get in here. And that is there's a couple populations that doesn't work well for one of those being new inexperienced lifters. If you have a lot of variability in your movement from rep to rep, set to set, the velocities numbers are going to be all over the place. And it's not going to be a very use, useful tool in that regard. Um, the other is you've got to put effort behind it. So you actually have to try. So a lot of times we call it effort-based training because you can sandbag it if you just don't try hard. Sure. You can do that with any training, right? Um, so uh, what we do is we, we start with what we call a profiling session. So we work an athlete on whatever lifts that we want to mo- that we want to that we feel are important, and so we work them through there, you know, all the way up to like close to a max. And from that, we're able to create a linear regression line, not to be un- uncomplicate terminology, a s- sloped line um, that shows at seventy five percent you're at this speed, at eighty percent you're at this speed, and so on. So now I can pick any percentage of your max. And know what the velocity would be. So if I want to know 77%, it should be this speed, right? That's why we graph it onto a line. Um, And then now we work it in reverse. So instead of saying in today's session, whatever your plan is, uh, we're hoping to have 12 reps at the 80 to 85% range. Okay. And you would come up with this in a standard training protocol, right? Um, You know, you're doing some periodization and you know, Hey, uh, here in this block, I need, you know, this, my intensity is 85 to 90%. Here's how many reps I wanted to get. So it's, let's say three sets of four is going to get me my 12 reps at 85 to, to 90%. So now we program it based on the velocity. I want 12 reps, you know, three sets of four at 0.30 to 0.35 meters per second, because that would be that the same percentage. So it's basically percentage-based training. We do. So you manage it exactly like percentage-based training. So your training programs is exactly what you're doing right now. Okay. Except we replace percentage with the velocity. Now what that does is it actually allows you, your, your, your training plan is going to move because your max is not actually, is going to be varying and it's going to be either progressing faster than plan to plan or slower than plan. And then you're going to have uh, other factors, life factors kick in. Uh, your dog's sick and was up puking all night. Okay. Mm-hmm. Didn't sleep well. Okay. So, so now you're going to try to hit that, those reps in that velocity range. If you're progressing faster than plan, you're actually going to train with more weight than what your percentage plan would placed on, but you're actually training with your actual daily max without actually having to calculate it out or know it. If the dog was sick or you guys were enjoying too many margaritas on the boat, uh, you're not going to be able to hit as much weight. So to, to be in that same, so it's auto, automatically going to adjust. So if everything's going to plan, you're going to use in the same weights as normal. Um, or you're going to have, here's the beauty of it. Everybody thinks about auto regulation as pulling back. What we find is there's lots of micro opportunities 
to take advantage of over a course of a training cycle that you weren't aware of. Because guess what? When you're training an 85 to 90%, like for me, hey, uh, 850 pound squat, guess what? It's heavy. Okay. <laughs> and if I was doing percentage plan, it says I'm supposed to do 850. It's going to be heavy and I'm going to do my, I'm going to do my three sets of four. I'm not going to know that I could have trained with 855, maybe 860 that day. Okay. Or you're going to, you're going to be getting, you're going to get to your, your third set. And uh, you're like, man, I'm only going to do a double. I'm going to be smart. I'm auto-regulating. It just doesn't feel good today. If you got the, the data there, you're going to go, oh, no, actually it's all there. I, I need to go for it. I need to not pull back. Like, um, so a lot of times you look at the velocity device and you're like hoping it's going to, you know, and you're like, God, God, fuck you velocity device. I got to do the extra work. There's no excuse today. Uh, so it's really taking advantage of a lot of micro opportunities there. I love that now, so much. I love that it's, uh, it's gotten, uh, like an auto regulatory part to it, but it takes kind of eliminates the subjectivity of RPE. So exactly. it's kind of like the best of both the worlds. Like, I, RPE works. Um, some people it doesn't work as well for like me, uh, ego lifters, you know, uh, it doesn't, uh, but even if it did, like th that might be an RPE eight, eight, right. Or an 8.5, whatever it is. Well, 860, what's that? An RPE 8.6? I, I, like you're, you don't have that level of refinement to know five pounds, seven pounds here. You don't, it's not, 850 feels heavy. Like I can't differentiate the, the feeling between 850 and 855 or 860. But if I get the work in and I can, I'm going to see the results of it. And so over the course of a training cycle, we find that our athletes end up doing a lot progressing further or pushing a lot f farther than you would expect. And we always think about auto-regulation a lot of times as the pullback thing. And it's going to do that too. Like I gave some examples there where you're just not going to do it. Now, the first question we ask ourselves when we, uh, if, if the weight, so we will we'll also with our training logs, it, it pulls the data and says, Hey, last time you trained, here's the number. And this is where we expect. So I'm expecting you to lift the weights between 840 to, you know, 840 to 850 today is your window. Right. And, um, and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me all the time. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be hitting somewhere between 840 to 850. That's, that's the plan. Shit. I was hoping my thought would come back by then. Okay. When you repeat the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what do you use to track the, the velocity? Like, is there a particular app? Oh, or good a, question. Yeah. How do you do yeah. it? So, um, there's a lot of products out there. So one, the, the visual apps, um, there are no good, um, because it's guessing how far away you are and other stuff. Uh, it's not going to be accurate enough to work. There's a lot of gyroscope type technology. We've tested nearly everyone on the market because people know who we are and they send us, send them to us and they don't, they're not accurate enough in the, in the ranges that we train as strength athletes for like team sport athletes, where you're training at a much higher velocity. Um, it's okay, but we need to be within a 5% window. Like I don't want to be training with 80% when I was expecting to be training with 90%. Right. So yeah. we pick a, a, like, like I said, usually it's an 85 to 90 or 90 to 95. That's we use a 5% window. Um, they're just not, uh, accurate enough. So you need a tethered unit, uh, to be successful. 
or there is going to be a new one um, that uh, hits the market this year uh, from Jimware uh, that uses a, a, a laser and a gyroscope. Um, and that we have been testing and it sh it's showing really positive. And it's just a little magnet you stick on the barbell and then it shows up on your phone or iPad or whatever, uh, what your velocity is as you're going. Um, so yeah, it's an incredible tool. Um, so it doesn't, like I said, it uh, doesn't work great for people with a lot of, you know, different, different, uh, not very qualified lifters. They've got a lot of variability in their movement. Um, and then it does work really well uh, also for like for me or anybody else that's a very ego driven uh, lifter to like make sure that that's why I started using it to make make sure I'm staying within the range and not pushing it uh, uh, too far. Same time, I still found that a lot of times it was it was uh, still over the course of a training cycle. I was able to take advantage of so many opportunities to add a little weight or finish a set that I didn't think. And, uh, and yeah, that's, it, it ends up being very beneficial in that manner. I've always said that that's something that, that, uh, prevents a lot of lifters from making progress, how, how strict they are about sticking to a plan or a percentage or an RPE, you know, that they don't take those small opportunities within, within a training cycle to actually push themselves. Mm -hmm. I think, People make that mistake more often than the opposite. Like people, you know, if you're feeling, how many times have you seen people at the gym that are going for, I don't know, 90%, three sets of one, and they absolutely smoke it. Like it's obvious that they'll be able to hit a PR that day yeah. and they just go, oh, no, my coach is going to kill me. Yeah. I'm like, if I was your coach, yeah. I would kill you for not going for the PR. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, that, and this allows you, but you have to put the, in the effort. That was the, where I was going with the 840 to 850. Let's say I get up and I'm getting close to the range. I'm getting to, 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 and I hit 800 and it actually falls within the range. I'm supposed to be training at 840 to 850. And I'm like, well, crap, I guess I'm just beat up and I don't know it. But yeah, the first question that we always ask is, are you trying hard enough? Cause it is effort-based and it's like, no, I need to go back and try harder first. That's the first thing that I need to do. And then all of a sudden you'll find, Oh, Oh no, it, it is there. I, I just wasn't trying hard enough. Now the velocity comes up. So that's a, we call it effort-based training because you really got to put in the effort to make it happen. But that's actually a really good quality though. Like to, to, to force you to go, Oh no, I'm just not trying hard enough today. Mm -hmm. Like I just need to try harder. And I can actually get my work in. And so that's, uh, that, those are kind of some of the, the principles there. But yeah, we found it really incredible value. And, and we're not changing. So it's, you know, when people say velocity-based training, they think it's like some other type of training protocol. We're going to know, no, it, we use it as it is your system for, you know, training. We just going to overlay this as an objective, uh, an objective indicator. And we still use subjective indicators too, as a whole, um, you could use RPE. We just use like a one through five, uh, you know, as a whole. And a lot of times, and then, uh, we still use, you know, again, cause just not having to train people for, for RPE and stuff. Like we'll use reps in reserve for like all our accessory work and things like that. Um, but the core things that we want to manage, uh, if we have the opportunity now, it does vary a little bit for like somebody that's really pushing something at an elite level. So like, Hey, Steph, if you're going for a world record exact number, it needs to be 572 pounds at this meet on this day. 
you just have to do the work. So we would still lay that out as a traditional training plan to get there. And you got to do it because if you don't do it, you know, you're not going to hit that goal. And if you're just trying to manage and take advantage of everything that you got in that training process uh, and you come in and, you know, and, and, and it tapers everything back because you're actually progressing less than plan and you hit 560, it doesn't matter what was the point of showing up because that's the only thing at this point that is going to matter, matter to some of those athletes at that level. Right. Uh, and so, so we may not use that with some of the really high, I still use it myself, even though like, Hey, my plan is to hit a thousand for a triple next year. This is the plan. Uh, but I'm still managing some of those microcycles and we're evaluating, but it's not necessarily a, a needed tool uh, when you're getting to those, those final stages. Cause if I don't hit this workout at this level, I'm not going to hit this goal at the meet. Right. So, um, so there, there's a little bit of variability there, but I, as a whole, it's an incredibly valuable tool. Uh, once you understand how to use that, we have a free, um, uh, velocity profiling tool on our website too. So if people just type in auto regulation book of methods on Google, it'll go straight to a, an article that actually lays all this out and actually talks about the history of RPE and all the other, you know, subjective measures. And then it's got the, uh, a download in there uh, about halfway through when it's talking about it, you can download that and actually input your numbers and it'll create, uh, create that for you. So really, really cool stuff. So oh, we've been playing around with, out. with, Velocity is an auto regulation tool longer than anybody else that I know, because it was, it was all used for speed work. Uh, how do I be faster? And it's kind of interesting. Like, again, you know, looking at that, when I watch teams that go use it as a, how do I be faster tool? You got to be careful what you want, what you measure, right? What you measure and what you're asking for. Cause you say, Hey, I want people to, you've got this group of basketball players deadlifting. And they're doing 225 and I'm doing VBT and I want you to be faster. Well, next thing you know, you'll, you'll find people are deadlifting and ending up on their toes or doing a little bit of a high pull at the top. They're not doing a deadlift anymore because the goal for them isn't to move more weight. So our goal with ours is if the numbers are within a range, I actually get to add more weight and that's the goal. But if I'm measuring it and I just want to be faster, there's a lot of ways you can actually move worse or not the way that we want or ch kind of micro change the exercise. So I'm getting a higher velocity reading and doing better because the goal isn't to add more weight. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah totally. totally. Talking about, yeah. about data, do you use any sort of HRV tracking tool? Do you like, do you buy I have that? in the past? Um, and I, I need to get back onto it. Uh, my friend, if you want to talk uh, HRV, I would highly recommend getting Joel Jameson on your podcast. So uh, Joel is my go-to resource there. And I, uh, I need to get back actually with what I'm currently doing. Uh, it's just really interesting when I was overlaying auto regulation and HRV in the past, when you're in pure strength training, uh, and you've got a lot of controls of other factors in your life. Cause you know, I don't have to mix a different job or other things in. Um, but, uh, um, it wasn't telling me to do anything different than what I was doing, but this was last time I really used it was kind of when it was really in the development. So I don't know how much it's changed. That's why I need to get in and uh, use some of Joel's uh, Bioforce, uh, his new, uh, his new stuff and, uh, and, and play with that some more. But what I found is it, it would say, Hey, you're, you're building up and you're, you've got a lot of fatigue and you need to, you need to take some time off. And I was like, well, that's the block of training I'm in. I'm supposed to be doing this. 
So like, I'm not going to do anything different. So it wasn't, it wasn't driving me to take action at the time. And, uh, but I had other tools to rely on as well. So I think uh, as long as you look at it like that, as one of many tools you can use to help you make educated uh, decisions about your training, then it's beneficial, but the same, you know, with anything, you shouldn't dive wholly into it. If you feel great one day and things telling you to, to take a rest and especially like athletes that are using strength training, GPP or whatever to support then yet another sport as well. And you've got all these overlaying stuff like that gets really complicated to, to manage and know where you're at. And so I, I see an incredible value in the tool, um, as a whole for a lot of people or even people like that are just doing strength and, 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 uh, and conditioning, like let's say CrossFit and stuff like that. Like, man, HRV would be huge. Uh, Joel does it a lot in the fighting world. Again, you've got a sport that's highly physically demanding, but then you got to support that you've got all the, you know, other conditioning work, other strength training work as a whole, right? How, how do you manage, you know, all those factors? And you may have different coaches for different ones too, that don't know what you're doing in those other areas. Uh, so uh, having an HRV, I think is really cool. I've played with it, but it's been so long. I don't want to speak to it uh, myself, but Joel is anybody that's listening. Uh, Joel Jameson is definitely the, uh, the go, go-to person. Yeah, I would love to have him on the podcast. And for the listeners who don't know what HRV is and what Joel Jamison does, he oh. basically has dedicated his entire life to to so research. I, I can I can tell people what uh, HRV is and the Go science ahead. behind it. So uh, HRV is heart rate variability. Okay, and so it's not your actual heart like the hey I'm beating at sixty beats a minute. Um, you're not actually beating at whatever you in a micro level. Um, beating what you measure for a minute. So it may be 62, 58, 67. It's bouncing all over the place, moving around. And so it's really showing you've got the, these two different things pulling. You got people think about the sympathetic and parasympathetic states as like a complete shift. And they're not like, right. They're, they're constantly pulling one way or the other. And so um, that pull is what's creating the variability in your heart rate. And so heart rate variability is taking a, a statistical analysis and they use a standard deviation. Then uh, they measure the standard deviation of, of, of the, uh, the variability in that heart rate and basically finds out whether it's how hard you're trying to push or pull between those two areas. And if they're really fighting each other, that's where it's showing uh, that you're, you're accumulating a lot of uh, fatigue in your system basically. Right. And whether you need to take a break or not now the taking a break or not thing is really based on your training plan and where you're at, but it, 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 it's a, it shows you what the response to that training is. So you can make uh, those adjustments as, as, as needed. Like I said, so if I was in a, you know, that, that final, like if I'm two weeks out from a competition, that heart rate variability is, going to show really, really bad. You need to take a break, but you may have one more training session in there. You're still going to take it because you have, that's part of, you're actually trying to build that, but then you should also see now that that change and come into a a positive as you, the closer you get to a meet. So it can really show you, Hey, is my training plan, is my deload in the appropriate phase? Am I getting fully recovered for a meet or now am I starting to, uh, did, did I peak too early, too late? Uh, so there's tons of great stuff there once you understand what it is. Uh, so heart rate variability, again, it's just measuring the standard deviation of the, 
the, the changes in your heart rate to find out uh, how the sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, parts of your nervous system are, are working and, and where your actual fatigue and recovery is and yeah. needs are. Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect explanation. Um, I actually gave a lecture on heart variability a few years ago. And one of the things that I wanted to hammer in the most was that it's not only about gathering data, but about understanding how to interpret the data. And that's exactly what you were saying, you know, yeah. like, and that's where I found like when I was playing around with it, like, God, it was eight to 12 ish years ago, the interpretation pieces, the stuff they were using just wasn't giving me, uh, it, it wasn't developed enough yet. And uh, I know that it has, like, I've been in Joel's office and he was showing me all the stuff and the data on whether athletes, I was, I was really, I'm really impressed with what he's doing. I just haven't implemented it. And I really like to use stuff before I, I speak to it. Of course. Speak sure. to it Did he end up launching uh, Morpheus? What's that? Did he end up launching Morpheus? Yes. He, uh, last I talked to him, I believe it should be launched now. He had some supply chain issues basically, uh, with getting, uh, getting the tools. I could never market, order so. it. It was always sold out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, if you can put me in touch with Joel, that would be amazing. I seriously yeah, would I'll, love uh, to. I'll shoot you over his uh, email and his uh, phone number. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Anything uh, you want to plug uh, before we get off here? Um, oh, there's always a million things to plug. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, Got some really phenomenal products that are going to be hitting the market this year uh, with Build Fast Formula uh, supplement line that. Uh, uh, Anyway, we've done some really cool stuff and I'm really excited for what's coming out. Um, Kabuki Strength, we've got, uh, if you're not familiar with what we're doing, just go to the website, check us out, uh, kabukistrength.com. We've got, I believe, the industry best tools in, in, the, in the areas that we, that we play in, uh, without a doubt. And they help people get stronger and well reducing the potentiation for, for injury. I'm not going to say eliminate an injury, like that's just a bad statement, um, but... Uh, um, really check that out. And then, uh, my book. So if we want to talk inspiration, uh, goal setting, uh, how to, <laughs> effective goal setting and how to put that in place in your life. So it'll affect your business, family, all these sorts of things. It's, it's a bestseller, uh, in a number of different categories for that reason. Um, so you can find links to all this stuff on my personal website and which includes a free audio download of my book if uh, and another book if you uh, sign up through the link on that site so just christopherduffin.com so pretty easy to find c-h-r-i-s-t-o-p-h-a-r duffin d-u like muffin but with a d uh, <laughs> dot com <laughs> uh, so uh yeah i i really i really encourage people to check out the book it has in my, you know, my tagline and all my posts says life changing, which I think sounds over the top, but you would be surprised at how many people's life it, it is turned around, help people with uh, addiction issues, recovering from mental health. Uh, it's saved some people from suicide. Like it's, it's really impacted people in a positive manner. And uh, I, I think that anybody that's in training, uh, anybody got, I I'd have trouble finding anybody that wouldn't find some value in it. So, uh, check it out. The Eagle and the Dragon, you can find it on Amazon or just Barnes and Noble or wherever as well. Um, but, uh, all of it's, uh, housed on my, uh, my personal website. There's links to that build fast barefoot and Kabuki strength. That's amazing. Awesome. Chris, you're, you're an inspiration for me. And, uh, I admire you so much as a professional, as an athlete and as a human being, you're the full package, the real deal. Well, thank you. That means that means a lot. Of course. Appreciate you coming on and uh, 
we'll have to do round three at some point. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. All right. Have a bye. good day. All right. Bye.